Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. We're at the National Equine Forum today. And my next guest is Dr. Barry Johnson. He's the independent chair on the Horse Welfare Board. He's also been a chairman for World Horse Welfare. And today he's giving a living example of British racing and how the social license can impact us. Don't forget you can join in with your questions. Just head to nationalequineforum.com. Hi Barry, can you tell us a bit more about your talk at the National Equine Forum today? Yes, my section is how the racing industry is going to achieve its social license and the response that it has got uh, to uh, the demands of society that sport horses are continuously looked after throughout their lives. Oh gosh, and, and what, what's your interest in this, Barry? Because you've got a, a long list of accolades, haven't you, to your name? You've, you've been in the industry as an expert for a really long time. So what is it that particularly interests you about, um, you know, the social licence and, and the racing industry? I think to improve the welfare of horses generally is something that I've done all my life. And so therefore... Uh, I'm perhaps seen as an independent person, uh, and there are two independent people on this uh, board uh, to try and be representative of the general public as opposed to people who are professionally in the industry. And can you share with us um, some some history of you, you know, what you've done in your career? I've just been a, a vet resurgent for 50 years, so... I've done all sorts of things. Uh, the last thing, I, I started my own practice, and it's a very large practice in Lancashire. And then I've been chairman of World Horse Welfare. Uh, so I did that for about 10 years. And then I was asked to take on this role for a few years as chairman of the Horse Welfare Board for the racing industry. And, and do you think that you're seeing a difference? You know, because Rowley was explaining about the social um, social influence, really, as well, isn't it? It's the it's the ethos behind um, a, a society of their their core beliefs and their values. So, you know, I, I'm supposed to be unbiased, but I can't help but have have an opinion. I, I'm definitely seeing a shift in the way that treat, people treat horses or the way that it's perceived. And I'm not sure if that's because we're just talking about it more. So more racing yards and trainers and coaches are coming out and saying, you know, we don't all abuse our horses. I actually really love my horses. Do you think that could yeah. be the case? Or are you actually I, I seeing th- a change? I think all the people who look after the horses like you truly love working with horses. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. But the general public now see horses as companion animals as opposed to being pack horses or working horses on farms. 
and therefore they want to know and ask questions. And I think the industry has been uh, slow at explaining to the general public why they do things with horses, what benefits horses get from racing or being used in sport. What do you think the benefits are for the horses? Well, horses who are used, for whatever reason, show jumping, racing, whatever, tend to be far better looked after than those that are just turned away in a field with no use. Uh, if you look at most of the horses that are neglected in this country, the ones that are not, they don't have a use. And uh, so if they're used, then they tend to be fed well, looked after well, their feet looked after well, their teeth looked after, their disease control is a high standard. Um which wouldn't happen if they're just living uh, out in the fields. I do agree with you. Um, I, I just struggle with that point a little bit because I run a retirement yard. So none of our horses have a have a use, but they're, <laughs> they're all really well cared for um, because I'm just a bit soppy and I, and I love horses that's too much. But I think That's a slight difference because you're using them as companions and you're using them as horses and enjoying their company. That's different to just turning horses away and nobody looking after them which does tend to occur. You know, not everybody looks after retired horses, and I feel that it's quite a, uh, a nice role for me to have, to know that, you know, they've served us, really, for so many years, that at the end of their life, the least we can do is look after them. But in terms of the social, the social licence, then, the differences that you're seeing, what, what are they? What changes are you seeing? Well, it's changes that we want to see. We want to try and uh, improve the safety of horses when they're racing. We want to make sure that the quality of their life from birth through to the end of their life is a life well lived. And we want to try and make sure that we communicate this to the public, all the good that is done by people with horses and explain why we do things uh, and expose the myths where we get it wrong, but where we've got it right, explain why we do things. There's a big gap, isn't there, between the racing industry and the equestrian industry. Um, do you feel that there's a quite a big divide between the two? I think historically there has been, but I think everybody realises now, both in racing and in other equine sports, that in fact they've all got to work together to try and uh, achieve this social licence. And of course the benefits from sport horses trickle down to horses lower down the scale. So the advances in technology of veterinary treatment, mm-hmm. uh, vaccinations, all trickle down to the small livery yards or retirement yards. Mm, absolutely. I mean, we've seen a big shift in the last couple of years to attitudes towards infectious diseases. And I think, you know, there was a lot of hate for the for the racing industry a couple of years ago when you made the decision to, to put a stop on all the races to prevent the spread of the of, of the, the virus at the time. And I actually thought that was a, a great, brave, bold decision for the industry to say, no, you know, we, we want to protect our horses. And it really brought to the forefront biosecurity and, um, and the power uh, that these infectious diseases have and now this year although we've had EHV which hasn't been great it's been controlled uh, much quicker I think than in previous years. I think drawing people's attention to biosecurity is something that the racing industry can do and the race industry has spent about 30 million in the last 20 years uh, on research the Animal Health Trust and various other research establishments because as horses move around the world more, the opportunity for new emerging diseases uh, coming into this country from abroad is more likely. 
and pricing industry through the levy board is the only one that can really finance the research. So why have you focused on the racing industry with your social licence? Is that because they can be leaders in, in how we look after our horses? I think they can be leaders, uh, but I think the other sports will probably follow suit and develop a, a strategy for mm. welfare uh, because they need to do that to maintain the support of the public. Mm. How do we change people's views? How do we change the social licence and to, to help people to look after their horses more, protect horses? Well, I think that people do look after their horses. It's just that they're very negative in terms of discussing how they look after them with other people. And people are very challenged if you ask them about how they look after the horses. They're almost insulted that you bother to ask them. That's interesting. And there are problems facing eventing and show jumping with people protesting at the European Games. That Not everybody is convinced that horses should be used for sport. So are we hoping that we're going to maybe educate those people as well or potentially change, I shouldn't say educate, that sounds really patronising, but change their minds? I, I think just to be positive about what we're doing and explain all the care and attention that we all put into our mm. horses, that we don't neglect them. And where there are cases of neglect, then something is done about it very quickly. Uh, but in general, most horses are very well looked after. Mm. They are, aren't they? Do you have any? Do you still have horses? I have one left who's a retired uh, point pointer. He's he's eighteen. He lives the life of Riley. He goes out <laughs> every day. Looks like a four year old. It's hard, isn't it? Because whenever an animal is used as a job, it feels like we put them at risk, at, at some form of risk. You know, horses that are used as as mounted police horses, they go out and they're put at, put at risk. Horses that are competed on cross country, you know, you're you're always taking a risk with them. It's the it's the boundaries, I guess, and the levels of what's risk versus abuse. And I think the the issues are it's with anything again when you're looking after animals you've got your own standards and i think we all have a very high standard over here for how we expect animals to be looked after and treated but there's so many variations and variables with that you know there's a looking after your horse but then there's using a really harsh mechanism to to keep them under control it's, you you've you've got a really tough job barry not only in trying to help and support people to to be looking after the horses but also in general you know it's almost like there's no one size fits all for everybody there's always a risk whatever you do with a horse there's a risk all horse sport has an element of risk to it and our job is to minimize that risk where it's avoidable then we should avoid the risk but there'll always yeah. be a risk with horses and the research that Liverpool University did for the uh, horse trust showed that 70 odd percent of the injuries to horses were all done when they were turned in fields and as you know, horses are very capable at injuring themselves just wandering around in a paddock. <laughs> Happens a lot on my yard. They don't even move that fast. Because <laughs> on everybody. They still hurt themselves. It's, it's what horses are very good at. So there is an extra risk when we use them in sport. We've got to minimise that risk as far as we humanly possibly can. And we're working with the eventers and people to alter the hurdles and things. So we're using the knowledge and experience in other horse sports as well as those in racing. It's making a great improvement. There is a feeling that there's a change. The number of injuries are going down year on year. The number of fatalities are going down year on year. 
but we're not satisfied with that. We've got to get it even lower. You mentioned earlier you touched on being more supportive and, and more positive to each other. And I think a lot of the reason that people mess, don't necessarily share how they look after their horses, because there's so many different ways of doing things and everybody seems to have an opinion, which is why I originally started doing these podcasts, because... I had a horse and everybody told me that I was rugging it wrong or doing this wrong or doing that wrong. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go and ask the experts. <laughs> so that's why I go on today, because we want to know what, you know, what's the right way of doing things. But I guess maybe if as uh, if this even trickles down to the everyday horse owner like me, you know, if we can be more supportive to other our fellow equestrians, maybe the conversation will be a bit more open and maybe we can share ideas without the, the fear of feeling condemned for how we do things. I think there's always a problem uh, trying to explain to people how to look after the horses. It's a little bit like trying to tell them how to bring up their children or how to drive their cars. And they become very defensive. And we've got to be more open and more positive uh, and congratulate each other when we do well on things rather than saying that people are doing things wrong. And there's, there's no right and wrong way with a horse. So we know things we shouldn't do. and We know things we should do. But in between, there's a lot of variation. With the change of this social licence then and the impact that it's having on, on, you know, the undertone of society, really, as an industry, we believe that um, we want to care for the welfare of the horses is first and foremost. Do you feel that's putting pressure on people like the government and our, body, our, our industry bodies to push for more sanctions on people that don't look after their horses? I certainly think that where people abuse their horses or misuse them, then there is pressure for them to be, uh, for corrective measures to be brought into place. And with any regulation, if it's going to be uh, effective, it's got to be behaviour changing. You know, so if, if, if there are laws against people doing things to horses, then they should be sufficiently strong uh, to stop them repeating the offence again. Thank you, Barry. Is there anything that you'd like to add? Just that we hope everybody will read the strategy report because there's a lot in it for everybody. And it's recommending changes to improve safety. It's recommending uh, better lifetime cover, better traceability and a consultation on the web. Oh, now that will be good. Because what's the laws now? Nine, is it nine times you're allowed to hit your horse? Well, I think it's not so much the number of times. It's how you use the, the whip. Uh, the action of it, the mm. type of whip you use. Uh, there's a long string of rules around it. And uh, so we would suggest a consultation on those. Oh, I think that's a great idea. Do you know, I'd quite like to see the whip be removed completely. I, I, I really don't like it as an aid. I, I, I can't see how it can help. You know, I, I'm not a race trainer, but I can't see how it can help uh, push that I, I horse hope, along. What do you I think? I hope you'll join in the consultation then. It could be an open consultation and you have every right to contribute to it. And I hope you do. Really? How can I contribute? Well, the BHA will run the consultation over the next few weeks and you'll be able to contribute to them. Oh, Barry, thank you so much. How will we find out the results of the consultations? Uh, they'll run for about six or eight weeks. Well, thank you very much. Um, My pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your day. I hope you enjoy the forum. We'll be able to watch your talk on the live stream. And if you head to nationalequineforum.com, you'll be able to see all the speakers of um, today's forum. Thanks so much, Barry. Pleasure. Thank you, Amy. Nice to meet you.
Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can hear more podcasts from the National Equine Forum at their website, nationalequineforum.com. I speak to Abigail Turnbull from Richmond Equestrian Centre, who talks about how they survived strangles. I talked to Zach from the Behavioural Insights team on how he can change behaviour in the industry, and David Rendell, who talks about worming resistance. And you can see the live streams of every guest speaker at the National Equine Forum website. Speak to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.